Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. One Broken Cog Podcast. Brian Olson with you. Back, of course, with my great friend and partner, John Lester. John, Brian, how are you, sir? What's going on? Man, I'll tell you, you know, we've been hit up constantly by LinkedIn. It's one of the topics that comes up constantly. How do you get in front of people? How do you market? What do you do? And of course, we're getting spam daily as well. Well, I'll tell you, we've got a guest who's going to tackle all of those topics and more, and her name is Tracy Enos. Now, a little bit about Tracy. She's an endorsed top LinkedIn advisor and single mom of four. In July of 2015, she sustained third-degree burns, a six-day stint in the burn unit, and five surgeries in nine months. Now, she wrote her first article the following October. It was featured in LinkedIn Pulse and generated five figures in just two hours of work. It's amazing. Now, with over 21 years of skilled experience, Tracy serves a wide variety of clients, including entrepreneurs, small to mid-sized companies, startup ventures, and business professionals. A seasoned business coach and best-selling author, Tracy drives core business processes for the client she serves, including LinkedIn training, profile makeovers, and consulting. In the last nine years, Tracy's consulted thousands of business owners, SaaS companies, coaches, authors, service professionals, sales and marketing teams, and entrepreneurs on how to use LinkedIn to generate leads, become the authority in their industry, and stay front of mind with their clients. She's known globally for her LinkedIn knowledge and training with clients in the U.S., Canada, Australia, Holland, Israel, Germany, and the U.K., and her consulting experience has netted her clients' speaking engagements, media attention, guest articles, and major publications, and trade magazines, and of course, millions of dollars in new business. Tracy, it's a mouthful. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks, Brian and John, for having me here today. I'm excited. Hey, I also heard, Brian, just before we get going, that we got to be careful. So I'm glad we're doing this remote because I heard Tracy's an alpha. (laughs) (laughs) She might come through the screen and grab you, John. That's exactly right. (laughs) So listening audience, you better pay attention because something tells me that this lady's going to tell you stuff that works. Hey, you can't be an alpha or not be an alpha and own Rottweilers. So you got to be an alpha. (laughs) So, so you don't get along, Tracy, with beta males, I take it? Uh, no, I do. As long as they mind their P's and Q's. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> as long as I don't have to train them. <laughs> yeah, men are hard to train, I'll tell you. <laughs> now, you come from a military background, right? You, you started in the military pretty young? Um, yeah, I, I um, had a, an incident at college, and so I left after the first semester, and um didn't know I was going to do. Went back from Sacramento, back to San Jose and uh, lived with one of my high school friends and his dad. And then there was an incident there and I just wasn't getting any family support. And I had remembered my junior year having to take the ASVAB test. It was required by everybody. I don't think they do that anymore. But I, I remember my scores were through the roof for electronics. Don't ask me why. because <laughs> I didn't know anything about electronics. I don't know. So we had like this down by in Eastside San Jose, this strip where they had every one of the military branches. And I walked into the Air Force because I wanted to fly, even though I don't have 20-20 vision. There were other opportunities to actually get on a plane and, you know, work behind the pilots. Anyway, so I walked in there and he says, look, your scores are too high. We don't have anything for you. And I was getting bummed out. And he goes, look, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to do something that we're not supposed to do. So don't tell them. So what he does is he walks me out in the back and there was like this long hallway in the back of the office. 
And he walks me over to the Navy recruiter and gets me in there and says, hey, I think this girl's right up your alley. And um, it took a, it took a little bit when he saw my scores and he goes, well, look, you know, we're now starting to recruit women for combat rating. It's kind of brand new. This is back in early 1988. Yeah. It's kind of brand new. And he goes, I'd like to get you into this rating, but it's full right now. He goes, but your scores are through the roof. I think you'd be perfect. And then he gave me a little strategy on how to tell them that I didn't want to be in the boiler room <laughs> or a yeoman <laughs> behind a desk or on some ship in the bottom of the ship in the boiler room. Right. And he said, you know, kind of sneak peek what they're doing on the screen and let them know that, you know, you have these high scores and that go talk to your CO and we can, you can push me through, you can get another, you know, girl in on this billet. And I was firm. I just did what the recruiter said. And lo and behold, I got it. I was an AE. I walked into boot camp as an E2. It takes a lot of people, at least a couple years to get that E2. And in eight weeks, I was out of boot camp and I was an E4. So, and that's a petty officer first class in, in the Navy. And that was pretty good. And I wanted to work my way up to be a warrant officer, which is an, an enlisted officer where, you know, you don't have four years of college. So that's what I want to do. And I wanted to become a Naval flight officer. That was my goal at the beginning anyway. Didn't happen that way though. So have you, have you always lived with these really like this, this lack of ambition? No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> No, you know, I really excelled, especially, you know, in boot camp. You know, the, the military is based off of systems. And I really, I can follow a system. And I liked it. I mean, because I'm very organized. I like organization. I'm okay if things change. You know, I don't get all up in arms if something changes, if the structure changes. But I like structure. And that's what the military is about. And I think that's why I did so well in the beginning. Yeah. No, def it is. It is. It's a system. It is definitely a system. Yes. Uh, my CEO for my company was actually a Marine who was in the Navy and he got in trouble. I mean, I'm sorry, he was a, in the Navy, but he was a Marine and he'd had 20 years of service. And so instead of his stripes on his uniform being gold, they were red. So he got demoted and then sent, sent over to the Navy. I'm not really remembering what he did, but man, having a Marine as a CEO in boot camp, we got more of a Marine training than we got Navy training when it came to physical, you know, our physical getting out on the grinder and doing our stuff. John, you can, uh, you can attest to that, right? So, so the guy, the, so that the, the master sergeants, I'm assuming the master sergeants that train the SEALs are not the same to train the new recruits, correct? I, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, that's a different <laughs> level of training. That's really kind oh, of yeah. interesting. Yeah, that's way up there, way, way beyond what I did. We, I just yeah. worked on, was trying to work on the flight line with fighter planes. So what'd you get out of that experience? I mean, what, what did you learn? How did that shape your life? How did that shape your direction? Well, I, I, I just mentioned it, systems. It's a framework, right? If you follow a system or a framework, it's a repeatable, duplicatable process. And I think businesses today, if they have a repeatable, duplicatable process First, they can teach anybody how to do it. Secondly, it, when somebody follows a system, we're going to do something right the first time, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Right? And, yeah. Then it, and then it creates an opportunity to grow as a company. So, I mean, I, I, I've built everything off of a system. Here's what I do. First, second, third, fourth, you know, mm -hmm. five steps, mm -hmm. framework. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. How was the transition into civilian life after the military? Well, I happened to marry a fella that I met in boot camp. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, you know, we weren't allowed to talk to each other. So they were called brother company and sister company. And each sister company had their own brother company. So we would march a lot of times together. We would go to mess hall together. We'd go to medical together and we would go to class together, but we couldn't talk. So we used the old fashioned mail. So we would write each other letters. So they couldn't stop the mail. And that's how we conversed. So on Sundays, we got to write our letters. And so, yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's how I got to know them. Until we had Liberty after we graduated or right before we graduated, we had Liberty. and We got to go to Disney World because I went to boot camp in Orlando. And yeah, we got to go to, no, we didn't go to Disney World. Take that back. Was it Magic Mountain? No, that's in California. SeaWorld. That's where we went. Sorry. Uh. <laughs> we went to SeaWorld. I knew I was going to get one of those amusement parks, right? Um, yeah, we went to SeaWorld. So yeah. And then I actually, we got to actually sit and talk and introduce ourselves instead of just look at each other. <laughs> I don't know. So. I, I think a lot of marriages would go a lot better if the people didn't <laughs> talk to each other. But that's certainly <laughs> my opinion. Write each other letters. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, no, so I married him. Uh, we went to a school together in Millington, Tennessee. He was an, he was an AT like me, aviation, electronics, tech, and so we happened to end up being in the same class together. And I was the only girl in my class. So there was like Marines and Navy guys in my class. And I happened to be the only girl, which was very interesting. And so the Navy guys were really mean to me. So I sat with the Marines. I think I belonged with the Marines anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Navy has a lot more electronics than the Marines do. Yeah, well, they were, I mean, they were training them as well, because I guess yeah. there's, you know, there's AEs, ATs, and there's a couple other ones in there as well that fall under that aviation balloon umbrella there. So so how did the, how did the military shape your next step when you left? Well, we, he got stationed in Oak Harbor, Washington. So I got out and that's another story for another day. And so I was just his wife um, and he got and deployed a couple different times. Um, and I had a brand new baby. And so it was really rough. I mean, yeah. I, I'd never been alone. I, I was a, a young mother, but I worked at a laundromat and I went to school. I was went back to school for graphics training. And I don't know. Oh, and then I got into Amway. <laughs> Everybody remember Amway? Uh, sure. <laughs> like the first multi-level marketing company ever. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so, which was really cool because a lot of the Navy families, they came in to do their laundry there. And I remembered that the owner of the laundromat had gotten all brand new washers and dryers. And, you know, Navy people, they leave their pens in their pockets, like the, the pockets of the shirts. They just don't think about it. And then when they end up in the dryer, by that time, the pens like would explode. Mm-hmm. And then they would dry on that inside the dryer on the, oh, what do you call it? They weren't the steel drums back then. They were ceramic over the steel or whatever. Right. And Amway had a really great product that I would use. I just brought my own stuff in and started using it. And then I was also helping out some of the Navy families when they didn't have soap. <laughs> I just brought in some Amway soap. So I was selling Amway soap to these people. Finally, the the laundromat owner's like, no, you can't do this. Let me buy the soap from you. Okay. (laughs) Good with that. (laughs) And then I sold him a bunch of this cleaner that helped keep his washer and dryers in pristine shape too. So that's when when I started to learn about sales. Well, I was actually 
in Millington, I actually started out with uh, Herbalife. I don't know why I went to Amway, but Herbalife. Yeah. So they had a program back there where if you were at a certain BMI, the Navy gave you so many months to lose some weight. Otherwise, you would be put on medical leave and sometimes even forced out of the military. And so I got into this Herbalife stuff and I started selling it and I was helping, you know, these people lose the weight in a matter of two or three months. I'm just, I'm just curious. What, what was their BMI for females? Gosh, you know, that was so long ago, John, I don't even <laughs> remember, you know, they used to call them whales. That is horrible, wow. horrible. to yeah. call people names period. Yeah. But you know, these guys, like we would, we would march to class. So we would meet up at a certain spot on base and then march to class together as a, as a unit. And um, sometimes these guys would just holler and, you know, call the girls whales and stuff like that. And, you know, I got onto them and it's like, that's, that's just rude guys, you know, <laughs> be respectful period. So that's because that's because you, that's because you women scare the daylights out of our, out of us guys. That's why. <laughs> I don't know about that, but <laughs> what they called whales, I really didn't think were big girls at all, but you know, I think all women are beautiful regardless of what shape they are. So there you go. That's a yeah, good credence to live by. Now, when did you finally find LinkedIn? Right? When did you know, hey, this is going to be the tool that I'm going to utilize for my career and make other people money as well? When was that moment? That moment was well, actually, it kind of led up to it. So back in 2012, I got laid off for the second time in four years from corporate America, and I had a little bit of savings. And then I went to go see my sister who bless her heart. They gave her six months to live. She had inoperable brain cancer and uh, she lived over two years ahead already. So she had outlived her, her time that she was given and she was starting to lose her short-term memory. So my sister-in-law called me and says, you need to get out here and have your last moments with Terry before she doesn't, you know, doesn't know you. And I was like, okay. So I flew out day after Christmas and you know, this is when Terry was now finally able to enjoy her wine and everything like that. Cause she was on a low carb diet, like less than 25 grams a day. And that's what was keeping her alive. So she, and I just went in the backyard and had a glass of wine and she's like, you know, you're already doing this. And I had showed her some of my stuff, the, the family reunion the summer prior um, when I was working with this company. And she goes, you just need to start your marketing business. She goes, just dive in and just do it. She goes, you're doing it for free for people. Now you need to get paid. And I thought that was brilliant information coming from a lady who didn't have a degree in graphic arts. And she worked for a very prestigious firm in San Francisco, an advertising firm, but she wasn't getting promotions because she didn't have the piece of paper. And so she started her own freelance agency and made more money doing that than she ever did working at the advertising firm. Not an uncommon story, unfortunately. Right. And so when I got this position with SGN Nutrition, they're out of Carlsbad, California, I found that job through LinkedIn. And that's they posted jobs on LinkedIn and in Craigslist. And I answered that job because after um, I got, you know, I came back, this was the downside of the, the real estate market. The first time I got laid off, I was a loan officer, National City Bank. And I had a, my real estate broker's license. But, you know, when you don't have a book of business, when you move back to Kansas City, you can't sell anything. So I worked for a firm as their office broker doing all their foreclosures. Um, but Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae foreclosures, they were a master lister. Anyway, so 
you know, once we left there, cause she closed up her real estate office, I didn't have a book of business. You know, it didn't matter that I was in the business for 10 years. Yeah. I just, I didn't have any clients. Right. So I dabbled in insurance for a little bit and that, that didn't work out really well. And so I had to look for a job. I didn't have a choice. Um, single mom needed to pay the bills. And that's where I found this job with SGN through LinkedIn. And within two months, I became regional manager. I was in charge of 83 stores in seven states with promoters and Sam's Clubs and Costco's. And so I was looking through LinkedIn at all their applications and Craigslist and interviewing them. And the ones that we hired, I would go out there and I would train them to promote, to sell our products. Uh, doing the demos. You guys know the demos, right? At Costco or Sam's Club. Yes. Like oh, yeah. Yes. Saturday demos. Yeah. So that's what our promoters did. Okay. And everything was going well until they got an investor and blew through their three million bucks in like three months. <laughs> and the investor told them, well, you better lay off some of your force, you know, your sales force or um, we're, you know, we're pulling shop and that's it. And I lost my job. So out of all of us field regional managers, all but one got fired. <sighs> so, yeah. So, um, but I didn't, you know, I knew I was dabbling in LinkedIn. I'd taken a course or two online course with Lewis Howes. You guys know who Lewis Howes is? No, not familiar with him. Well, he has a podcast called School of Greatness now, but that's where he, you know, he got injured as a football player, laid up on his sister's couch for months, and then he started using LinkedIn to build his business for free. So, okay. and then he created an online course. It was like $97. And so that's where I started with that in my off time. So why everybody else is partying, you know, in the evenings when they're training and, you know, promoting uh, for SGN, I went back to my hotel room, talked to my kids and started playing in LinkedIn, just getting in the trenches, having fun with it. I just loved it. I loved the platform early on. And so I took my sister's advice and I started my agency and I was going to BNI meetings and chamber meetings and other network meetings. And I wasn't getting any clients, you know, they were just as broke as I was. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, a bunch of broke people don't buy other broke people stuff. <laughs> so, so I got a client um, from one referral through one of the meetings and um, he had met me on LinkedIn. He had reached out to me and we connected and we went to lunch and that's how it started. And then when I couldn't find any clients on LinkedIn in 2013, I mean, uh, in these network meetings in 2013, I turned to LinkedIn. Then I started getting clients. I got, you know, my one of my very first clients was a roofing company in Philadelphia. Um, we just redid his profile. And then a digital marketing agency in Houston. And then I started getting clients in Canada. And it was really cool. And these guys were like, well, you know, we like what you're doing. How are you getting your clients? And I would share how I was getting my clients. They're like, can you do that for us? And that was the dawn of, of the, of the company, you know, wow. and, and that's, and that's how we did it. So, I mean, I started a digital marketing agency, not doing LinkedIn. We were building WordPress websites, doing Google maps and business directories and a little SEO and, you know, all that fun stuff. It really wasn't fun. <laughs> I did not like fulfilling that at all. It was not my dream, but I did love LinkedIn. And so that's how my career started doing LinkedIn consulting. That's amazing. Now I know around that same time you wrote an article for LinkedIn Pulse, you generated five figures, you know, in a very short amount of time. What inspired you to write it and how did you earn that amount of money for it? 
Well, actually, you can thank LinkedIn for that, or I can thank LinkedIn for that. They had just built their Pulse platform, which was for articles. And they invited some people to be beta users. And I was one of them, but I hadn't actually written an article when I got, you know, accepted to be a beta user. In fact, it took me almost a year. And they would have these categories where every month they, you could write about anything you wanted, but they would have these categories like a calendar and every day of the calendar or every month of the calendar, they had um, a, a topic that you could write about. And October's topic that year in 2015 was productivity tips. And so I wrote an article about productivity tips. And I think the article's still on my LinkedIn somewhere. And it was about um, using LinkedIn and Evernote. And that's back when Evernote and LinkedIn, they would sync up. And it was really amazing what you could do with it. And I didn't even learn. I learned from a tech guy named Steve Dotto because I had watched some of his YouTube videos. And so I wrote an article and I used some of Steve's videos as part of my article. So some of it was my info and some of it was his info. And then I hit publish and I went and alerted LinkedIn through Twitter that I had written this article. So the editors of LinkedIn, I said, here's my article. Here's the link to it. And lo and behold, I got featured in their, they had categories that you could follow in Pulse. And one of them was LinkedIn tips. And my article, Productivity Tips, got featured in that category in October. And it was amazing what that did overnight. Holy cow. That like my my LinkedIn connection requests and inbox and the comments, it just blew up. It just blew up on me. And then I'm as I'm responding to people or accepting their connections requests, I'm starting conversations with them. And I got coaching clients out of it. And that's where the five figures came in. Wow. It's, it's very, very impressive. What do you think some of the major mistakes are with people's profiles right now? I mean, there's so many people and there's two sides of the coin, right? There's people that are really trying to be found and make connections to gain employment. And the other side is companies or people within businesses trying to reach out to do business deals, right? Or to attract their ideal clientele. What's some of the major mistakes or the big no-nos that you're seeing as far as the profile? Yeah. Look, LinkedIn's been around for 18 years. Why do you still have your resume as your LinkedIn profile, right? This That was 18 years ago. LinkedIn's grown up since then. And people like me, other trainers are out there are teaching people how we're using it to generate sales leads, get the job whatever, you know, get the promotion, whatever it is that you want to use LinkedIn for. So I think part of the problem, I think the biggest mistake is that people are not filling out their profile where it's really speaking to their ideal client. So it's not client focused, right? It's still all about me that, you know, Toby Keith song. What about me? Me, 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 me. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are country music fans, but I do <laughs> like that song. You know, and, and it's, it is, it's all about you, but yes, it's a personal profile. So yes, there should be some stuff about you, but at the end of the day, the client really doesn't care about that. They care about what you can do for them, right? They want to know what is it that you do, who you do it for, how you do it, how you're different than your competition. And at the end of the day, what kind of results and outcomes can that you get them? How are you going to solve that problem for them? And they want to know that. And there's the human side. I mean, I think these trainers nowadays, they're just saying, okay, fill out your headline. It needs to be benefit driven, your name, your profile photo, have a background photo and have the about section filled out. What about the rest of it? I mean, you may list your work experience, but 
tell me more. Tell me more about what your products and services will do for me. What about, you know, the human side of you, volunteer work, organizations, you know, publications, projects that you've worked on, you know, any honors and awards that you've received. People want to see that kind of stuff. Look, I know when somebody scrolled through my profile and they go down and I have non-traditional, you know, education in there. I didn't put my short stint in Sacramento State in there, but I did put my military experience in there. And I know when I get a private message that notes that education or that I was in the Navy, I know I got a hot prospect right there. That means somebody took the time to scroll past the work experience section into the education to read that. That tells me something. That's what you want people to do. You want them to have your profile to a point where it's exciting, it's interesting. And yes, looks like they can do some great stuff for me, but do I like them? And so the rest of the profile is going to be about your likability. Look, people, they don't know you. This is black and white. So you want to tell them a little bit about you. So what I used to tell people, do you guys remember the interest section? Have you been on LinkedIn that long? Yes. So remember the interest section, John? Sure. Now, and they did away with it, which I was really mad that they did because we use it was a great place for keywords. Yep. So this is what this is the analogy that I would give people way back in the day when that section was still there was what if you were looking for an estate attorney in LinkedIn in your town because you needed one. Right. And you found two comparable state attorney or estate attorneys and they were both Cadillacs. Right. But as scrolling through the profile, you notice that one of them said that he loves golfing. He's an avid golfer, right? And you just happen to be a golfer and love golfing too. Which one of those two attorneys are you going to call first? Yeah, there's no question. Right. So it's that human side of you that people want to see that. Do I like you? Right. And that's what those other sections are about. And I think people, they disregard those sections. So they either, excuse my French, half-ass their profile or they just don't care at all and just think that, you know, through their direct outreach and, and content, that that's going to get them all the clients they can handle. And I Tracy, think you're very wrong. Tracy, do you think that's because people really don't understand how LinkedIn works? Or is it because people don't understand how to position themselves? I think both of those, John. And I also think that you have some of the Older ones that are in there that have been on LinkedIn for a very long time, they're like, well, I got this great network and I've never had a problem and I don't need to change anything. You know, like can't teach the old dog new tricks. Oh, you also have some some very high level people that are very successful and you go onto the LinkedIn profiles and they have they have 12 connections. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, nothing there. Yeah, there's not, uh, literally no content. Because they don't need it. In their mind, they don't need it. Yeah. And I run into those folks every once in a while. And that's okay. Look, you know, if you got in on LinkedIn early on and you're maxing out your connections, you really probably are good to go. Or you're the influencer, like the the big names like Gary V or Richard Branson or Russell Brunson. And they're not really using LinkedIn no, no, for, you know, it. no, they don't. So they can put anything they want in their profile and they're just going to get a ton of followers. It's just because who they are. But for the the majority of the members on LinkedIn, that's not the case. Right. But I mean, talk about maxing out your profile. I mean, what's the current limit right now? 30,000? 30,000. And then you can get followers. And unfortunately, the only thing followers can see are your, you know, your content and your articles. They, you can't personally message them. Yeah. But I haven't, I haven't run into too many people that I've looked at their profile and found that they had up to 30,000 people. I only know a handful. 
So, oh, I run into them a lot, but that's because that's my job. Yeah. You know, but um, yeah, like I, I was um, this gentleman that I had set up a meeting with, he had like 27,000 or 28,000 followers. And he's one of those fellas. It's like, well, I don't need to do what you're saying because I get referrals all the time. I get more business than I handle. Well, he's been on LinkedIn before I was. Right. You know, so yeah, I mean, we're not saying that's a finite rule, but I'm saying for the majority of the members, especially the new ones, since, you know, the pandemic started, LinkedIn's got a new statistic that said there was like a 55% more activity on LinkedIn than over 2019. And then I rolled into Sales Navigator and said, okay, I'm curious, how many new members on LinkedIn in the last 30 days? This was like in May in 2020. There was over 3 million new members worldwide that just joined LinkedIn. I was like, holy cow. (laughs) So, you know, LinkedIn is being used. I mean, I mean, it's growing exponentially, but LinkedIn is not being used to its, its capacity for most people. And a lot of businesses had to change the way they did business when the pandemic started. And they're like, well, we know this LinkedIn thing, we're on LinkedIn, but now how do we use it? You know, how do we network on steroids? Yeah. No, I, I, everybody's asking that question. Well, there's, you know, there's a debate going on right now and it's on the bio section. Some people say you have to write it in first person. Some people say, no, you have to write it in a third person. What do you think about that? What's your take on that? First person all the way. I mean, I think maybe when you get down to your work experience, you can say the word we like second person, like we as the company, but that about sections about you again, at the end of the day, it's a personal profile. Does it not bother you guys when somebody talks about themselves in third person? No. It doesn't well, if, bother you? If you're not in front really. of them, yeah. I mean, if they're talking yeah, if you're to in me, front yes. of them, Yeah, if I'm talking to you, doesn't it bother you <laughs> talking about themselves in third person? I, I honestly think that's what you're doing. You're talking about yourself in third person to a potential prospect as if you were right in front of them. I think it's annoying, personally. I think some of it's cultural. So I just, it doesn't really bother me because I, th- I think some cultures just, that's how they see themselves. Well, okay. So I'm talking, you know, the English speaking world, like US, Canada, UK, Australia, maybe too. I think we're, we're more along the lines of, you know, you know, the I, and maybe, and you're right. I didn't actually didn't even think about that, John. I, I didn't even consider that it come, could be a cultural thing. Yeah. You know, a lot of that. people, they hire PR firms that write it for them and they just don't switch it over to the first person. They just keep it as is and just paste it in. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. What do you think about, you know, there's a lot of people that say, look, LinkedIn marketing is dead. And the reason they say that is because of all the spam, right? You mentioned, I mean, how many more million people, 3 million in 30 days, you know, 54% higher usage in that year. And you're constantly getting inundated with messages to sell you something. And it's really turning people off. And it's harder to get in front of qualified prospect because of the bad actors. What do you say to that? What is your opinion on the current state of affairs regarding LinkedIn marketing? Well, yeah, I mean, I get them too. Like I just a couple of weeks ago, screenshotted a few of them. (laughs) And so, and in the, in the beginning, it used to just be in your inbox after they connected with you. Now they're doing it in the connection invite. Like, whoa, hang on a second. How do you know I need your thing? You know, you don't know me yet. (laughs) So I think a lot of the trainers and a lot of these courses are teaching people how to do it on a mass scale. So they're just looking for the the few low hanging fruit. And unfortunately it's hurting their business because they could develop even more relationships with more people. 
than just trying to do this on a mass scale because they need it now. And I used to do that years ago. That was a thing years ago. But now I'm realizing that LinkedIn has changed. It's, It's more of a conversation. Like we're having a conversation here right now. I think your messaging should be likewise, like very conversational. People are using emojis now, thumbs up, smiley faces, LOL, you know, how we text people, people are responding in that fashion in their inbox as well. So if you can keep conversation going, that's that's how you're going to get them off of LinkedIn and into on the phone or into your own email pipeline or sales funnel or whatever you're using to organize your, your leads. But I think people, they, they want fast. They want, well, I call this drive-through marketing. You know, like when you go to the drive-through at Taco Bell, they're hungry now. They want their food in five minutes or less. Who right? doesn't, right? <laughs> right. Who doesn't? Well, and I yeah. think that's what they're thinking they're doing with the marketing too. It's drive-through marketing. But what about the like what about those professional businesses, right? They're going after enterprise level clients. You think it's appropriate to use emojis and you know millennial speak and stuff like that and kind of conform to this this uh, new marketing uh, you know marketing tactics when their business is kind of rooted in the more traditional approach? What do you think? I mean, would it be appropriate for that person to take that route? No, absolutely not. You got to know who it is that you're talking to. Who's the prospect? How do they how do they converse, right? So when I first start a message out, I'm not using emojis. If they are, then I'm going to do it right back. But I'm not super formal either, but I'm conversational. But if I were to go to reach out to like a, a CEO of a $100 million company, you can be sure that that conversation can be very different, right? I'm so you can't just blanket out messaging to everyone with the same type of message. No, absolutely not. You got to know your prospect. And that's the foundation work that I think a lot of people are neglecting prior to even filling out their profile or even developing a, a marketing campaign within LinkedIn. They're just, what do they call that? Spray and pray? Yes, <laughs> right. That's what, yeah. that's what they call it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I honestly think that people are, they want it fast and they want it now and Unfortunately, it's it's hurting those marketers out there that are doing it correctly, you know, because a lot of people are now ignoring the inbox because of that, or they're not even, you know, connecting with you because of that. And I still see people sending out connection requests without a personal note. And I think that is, you know, you're missing an opportunity there to share with somebody why is it that you want to connect with them? you know, at first, and people will make that decision. And they're more likely to accept your invitation to connect if you have a personal note. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes I'm still seeing. I mean, that's been since as long as I've been on LinkedIn, and you've had an opportunity to add a personal note, people still aren't doing it. Well, you know, on that note, I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's a rise in something called the honeypot profile. Have you heard about this? No, please share. Yeah, so the honeypot profile is where you take like a like a very attractive woman. And there's been tests on this. Actually, I looked into this. And you know, let's say you're reaching out to your prospects and you're trying to connect with people, you're saying that and you're just not getting much traction. All of a sudden you have a woman named Denise with a very nice, you know, profile picture, right? Very attractive profile picture. And Denise reaches out to people. Now all of a sudden our connections are through the roof. Now all of a sudden everybody wants to take a meeting with Denise. There's even stories that they're in trade shows and this person has been sold already. They're already a customer because of Denise. And now, Hey, is she here? Can I meet her? I mean, it's, it's a rise in these things called honeypot profiles where you're, you're basically playing on the fact that, Hey, listen, I want to do business with somebody who's attractive or, or who knows what it is. 
But uh, yeah, I've been seeing this. This is a whole thing now. It's all over YouTube. People are talking about it. They're calling it out because you can see when people are reaching out to you and it's one of those honeypot profiles. I've had a few of those now that I think about it. And I actually just coin them as fake profiles because I can spot them a mile away. <laughs> you just call so, it like it is. <laughs> I call it like it is a fake profile. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not dumb. <laughs> I've been around the block for a little bit, but you know what? People are are in the habit of just scrolling on their phone too and hitting accept, 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 accept. And they're not doing their due diligence and looking at their profiles before they hit accept. So then you get that. Then you get you get you get sucked into the honeypot profile campaign. Yeah. Well, that's what they're looking for, right? <laughs> they're looking yeah. for a honeypot. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll tell you, <laughs> Tracy, now we're, I know in your industry, sometimes it has like a black eye, right? Because there are some bad actors there. You have a very good reputation. You're well known in the space. What do you think about some of these bad? Who are some of these people? Who should we avoid out there? Uh, meaning like, like what? Some like, of those people that are just you know in your same space, they're LinkedIn gurus or people that tell you, hey, I can change you know, your fortune oh. at the drop of a hat. Like you were saying, the, the overall approach, the fast food approach. Who are some of those people? Who should we avoid? I will say this. I've gotten a lot of clients from my competitors who've tried the competitors first. Um, and I'm sure maybe there's some out there for me. In fact, I know one fellow who, you know, went to me and then went to my competitor who literally lives in the state of Missouri. And then didn't like him either. <laughs> so, but that's okay. I, I just say, I think be wary of the the newer content gurus out there that say you can have all the business that you want from creating a bunch of content and getting being in the engagement pod. So it looks like everything goes viral and you're going to shoot for the moon and it, you're going to make a million bucks. Sorry, that doesn't work like that. So a lot of these people have cheated their way into virality on the LinkedIn newsfeed. Um, but there are some of them that have worked very hard, well over a year, and they're posting every day and they're, you know, they're engaging with, with the people that are engaging with them through, you know, a private message or in the comments or whatever. And that, that's time consuming. A lot of people don't want to spend the time to do that. So I'm not calling those folks out, but the ones who are saying, I've got this great program that's going to teach you how to be go viral in 90 days. And you're going to have all the clients that you can handle. I call you all out because I know how some of you got where you are from when I wrote the book in 2018, you know, and you're not sharing that with the people. And I think you're lying to them and I don't like that. Or you happen to be an influencer. There's a, there's a new one that just popped up and says, I've had over a million views starting in November. I followed this person and I am disconnected with him. Can't tell you. I'm going to be honest with you. Personally, if I had that, I would use that to my advantage, but I wouldn't start a program and tell people, well, I have, you know, I got over a million views in this short amount of time and I can show you how to do it too in three, four, five, six months. I, I don't, I don't think those are real world. That's what I'm looking for. Um, realistic expectations. Ex or, yeah, yeah. Realistic expectations. And I think a lot of people are going to be duped out of money and aren't going to net the same results. So with you, how long does it generally take for people to start seeing results under your program? Well, it, it, there's a lot of ver you know variables there. I think some of it has to do with your current network. How many people do you have? Look, if you have 200 people, it might take a while, right? Because you have 200 people on LinkedIn, they're only going to show you a very negligible amount of people your post, your newsfeed. And, and it takes engagement for that actually to start growing. If you got 10,000 people, 
then you're probably a little bit better off, right? But there's some ways that you can cut corners to get people and drive them to your LinkedIn post outside of LinkedIn is, you know, that you have an opportunity to click on those three dots on your post and copy the link to that post and go share it with your other social media, share it with your email list, drive people over there, encourage them to engage, like comment, like on it, share it and whatnot. And I think that you're able to do that, but you have to also be consistent. Look, you can't just post once every couple of weeks and expect to great big numbers of engagement. Not going to happen. It's just not. Um, and then the, the quality of your, your content too. You can't just share articles from Forbes or Entrepreneur Inc. Magazine and expect to get engagement. You could do that probably nine years ago and got a lot of engagement, but today everything has changed. Also depends on the hashtags that you use. Mm. You know, um, hashtags are, are getting pretty big now in LinkedIn. And then also, again, it's just like every other social media platform, the time of day and the day of the week. When is your network on LinkedIn to see your stuff? Right. So it's a big, it's a big test. You know, you just got to test what works. And then when you see what's working, create more content like that, that works. And then just keep experimenting and be consistent minimum three times a week. And then adjust, right? As you see the results. And then adjust. Exactly. Absolutely. So original content, right? Not like reposted, shared from other people. You want it to be original. Yeah, original, but you know what? You can repurpose your content from other social media platforms, but just, you know, change up the description and stuff that's appropriate for LinkedIn. So nice. Tracy, since since you like process, have you created a system to allow people to do this? Not with the content. Um, I'm going to tell you guys, I kind of took 2020 off. <laughs> I'm just going to say I did. I posted a few times. Oh, um, did. Come on. Uh, yeah, I really did. I, I sat back and reflected on how I wanted to conduct business because I lost the majority of my business. When the president said lockdown, everybody went, um, I'm getting furloughed or laid off. Yeah. And that that hurt my income, too. So I had to sit back and reflect on really how I wanted to, to grow my business. So I'm going to be honest with y'all. I, I got a little lazy when it came to the content. But I didn't get lazy in my in my personal messages and my connections and stuff. I still stayed up to date with some of them in there. So no, but can I build a content machine within the next 12 months? Absolutely. 100%. No doubt. Is that what you're thinking of doing? Oh, I'm no, I'm not thinking about it. I'm going to do it. So I did a couple test messages and I got pretty decent engagement. Like one I did a couple weeks ago and I just posted once a week. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I got like 4,500 uh, views on it for not posting in months. That's pretty good. And then the one I just posted last week on um, St. Patrick's Day, I did a personal story about my story about learning that I was 44% Irish. Then I And I showed a little screenshot of my ancestry saying, you know, what nationality I am, what percentage. And I put a happy St. Patrick's Day on it. And then in 1,300 characters, I briefly shared my story about how I found, you know, my biological mother and my uncle through ancestry and and doing the DNA test and everything like that. So, um, yeah, and that one got roughly around 2900 views, maybe a little bit more net. Can I ask you how many connections you have currently? Over 16,000. Okay, so you're you're, you're up there. That's so, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but still 25% basically what you're saying is 25% of your people flagged the article and and responded. Yeah. So, well, and you know, I'm going to be honest with you. It doesn't take virality to get a good income, even from a a content post. I mean, I had a client in uh, summer of 2019 
he's a lawyer, he's a personal injury lawyer, and he went out to the state of Washington to a lawyer conference. And he took like the most horrible selfie I've ever seen. <laughs> and he's a little older than me, so not really good at selfies, right? But that's okay. I took it. And then I got a little bit of a description from him. And basically what he was telling lawyers was giving him advice, go to these events because you can secure new clients out of it. And he did. He got a client out of it. And I, he sent me his description. I finessed it up. I posted the selfie and he got 19 likes. And then he got a consulting client at $2,500 a month out of that. That's, you know, whatever that equates to in a year. That's that, pretty nice. I would say for, for 10 minutes worth of work. Yeah, it's 30 grand. Yeah. And he posted very infrequently. It's just a matter of who's in your network. Right. And who sees that post. It doesn't have to have thousands and thousands of views and hundreds and thousands of likes. But I did notice during the, during the height of um, COVID, I would say... April, May, yeah, March, April, May, June timeframe, the the activity on LinkedIn was much higher than it is now. And so the probability that you would even be seen, your posts would even be seen by anybody just because there was so much stuff coming out. It just seemed it was, it was, it had gotten a little crazy. And I don't know if it was because everybody was home and trying to adjust to it or what the deal was. I think that very well could have been, but even LinkedIn said there's only out of all their members, there's only about a million members that are posting frequently in the newsfeed. And what do they consider frequently? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. This came from one of their newsletters. Yeah, the stat came out in 2020, Brian, and she yeah, was yeah. not working. So, you know. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. She I was not alpha. Were, <laughs> I was still working. I just wasn't posting. <laughs> You were patiently what you're observing, right? You're laying. I was observing. Oh, I was in LinkedIn every single day. Don't get me wrong. And you're wearing yoga pants while you're observing, right? I was. Hey, I've worn yoga pants for years since the burns. I've been in yoga pants ever since. I just changed the top. You're a pioneer (laughs) of the yoga pants. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I think you're right, John. I think a lot of people are more busy now. Back then, I think they just had nothing to do and they're trying to figure it out. Tracy, it's, it's been awesome. It's been awesome. How do people get in touch with you? How do they connect with you? How do they learn more? Sure. Well, first, hit me up on LinkedIn. I mean, that's I live there. <laughs> so um, you can, <laughs> uh, Tracy Enos, and that's spelled E-N-O-S. And if you see the purple background, you got the right girl. That's wonderful. Now, we have one very last question. It's a personal question. It's to know you a little bit better. So you're going to retire to a nice private island, and you can only bring with you one book, one movie, and one album. What would they be? Well, the movie, you guys don't laugh at me, would be Pretty Woman. I ah. could watch that thing a hundred times and still be okay with watching it a hundred and one. That's a good there choice. That's a good choice. Um, and you said book? Yes. Can it be like a like a set? Everybody wants to change the rules, John, I swear. <laughs> well, that's because she's alpha. What do you want, man? That's true. Yeah, she, she, I guess she makes the rules, huh? That's right. Well, I'm, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, and he has a multitude of books, but like the books that I really loved growing up because I got grounded a lot. (laughs) No, no. Say it ain't (laughs) so. I read uh, Lord of the Rings. I love, I love those books. Nice. Okay, great, great. What about the album? And the album? Oh, goodness. This will tell us everything about her, John, right here. Don't Uh, say Toby Keith. Please don't say that. No, 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 no. I love Toby Keith, but like maybe only a few songs. Um, Gosh, that's a tough one. You know, I grew up in the 80s where, you know, you had rock, you had 
dance and you had the beginnings of rap and yeah. I listened to all of it. You know, um, there wasn't any one thing. I was kind of a chameleon. You know, I could, you know, hang around with the kids at school, the different groups of kids at school based off of their music or whatever. So I was hanging out with the with the sports and the smart kids and the goss, you know, so album. Wow. See, I could say a genre, but I mean, <laughs> that, that would be the be- album. I don't think I've ever listened to a whole album ever. Really? Except- is it because of a lack of patience or just? Uh- oh yeah. I'm yeah. I don't I have zero patience. So um, what, what genre would it be? You know what? If there is an album that I ever listened to, most of the songs, again, because I was grounded a lot, <laughs> would be Pink Floyd. Ah, it's a very popular answer. Okay. Which one? Pink Floyd. Yeah. Which one? Uh, Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. Is it the one where, you know, open the cover and it looks like this big man kind of naked standing over the city? He's like a, it's not the man itself, but it looks like a shadow. You guys, I'm not sure. Don't I, you remember know, the album? Dark, Dark Side of the Moon is is the black cover with the pyramid and the different colored lights coming out. I don't know if the cover was it. I just remember when you open up the album because it was my brother's album. So I just remember the inside. But I liked the um the song that says "We don't need no education." Yeah, that's that album. Wall. That's from the wall. That's the, the wall. wall. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. the wall. Yeah, because the front cover looked like bricks. Right. That's exactly. right. Exactly. Another brick yeah, yeah, in the yeah. wall. Yeah. It would be either that or Steve Martin's album. <laughs> I really loved Steve Martin back then. <laughs> nice. Tracy, it's been a pleasure. We've had a blast here. Likewise. Oh, um, I would like to give you all a free gift to your audience. Great. Oh, very nice. Okay? Definitely. Awesome. Well, they can go to www.linkedintopublishing.com. And from there, um, my best-selling book, LinkedIn, to, uh, LinkedIn Publishing to Profits, instead of buying it, y'all can get a PDF version of it. And you're going to get an accompanying 23-point uh, profile checklist. And that follows that first chapter of the book. Very nice. Wonderful. Say it again for them one more time. LinkedInToPublishing.com. LinkedIn to publishing? Yep. That's it. And T-O, not the number two? T-O. Okay. That should give them enough information. Tracy, absolute pleasure. Uh, One last quick question from me. How are the kids doing with COVID? Well, my 17 or my uh, 20-year-old has been doing great. Um, He actually uh, started working at a salon that just opened up in the middle of COVID. And he's a cosmetologist. And he's one amazing stylist. He's amazing with women's hair. And he's doing fantastic. My 17-year-old has got a little COVID depression because he didn't get to play basketball this year. And that takes like four months out of it. And he's a senior. Yeah. And he was my honor roll student. And now he's barely passing. Oh, my God. Sorry to hear that. So I'm just trying to get him graduated so we can be done with this and he can move on to the next phase in his life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us. An absolute pleasure. Well, thanks, John and Brian. This has been a lot of fun. I don't think I've laughed more doing a podcast interview than I have today. There you go. See, we we accomplished one of our objectives. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks so much, Tracy. Thanks, fellas. 
Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line. 